Welcome back for another episode of Counting the Stars. I'm Mary Gillum, and I'm here for morning coffee with my husband, Malone Gillum, where we ponder and discuss the big questions of life. Who are we? Why are we the way we are? What is truth and what is fiction? And just as endless as the stars in the sky are, our exploration never runs out of new questions and discoveries. So grab a cup of coffee for yourself if you like, and join us as we dive into what's unfolding this week. Let's focus in on seeing a little more of life and truth and do some growing up together as family. Here we go. Hello, hello. Good morning. Welcome to another week. It's very dark outside. (laughs) Again. Well, it's six in the morning. (laughs) I know, but it's time for some light out there. Daylight savings time is coming up. No, we're in daylight savings. Oh, we end daylight savings time in... Halloween night. Okay. The end of this month. All right. We're almost there. So I've been on my Agatha Christie reading um, season and just have enjoyed her writing so much. Um, she is she is able to write about all the genres and put it together in books in in a way that's just so fun. So she's obviously a great mystery writer, but but she's she has humor and she has wit and she has romance. I mean, it's just all thrown in there together and it's so much fun. And the book that I'm reading right now is called The Mystery at Chimneys. I'm almost done with it, but the the hero and the heroine, is that how you say it? The mm-hmm. female hero? Um, have been thrown together in this story by the events and by the murder, and and you get to really watch their relationship build, and, and towards the end of the book, all of a sudden you realize um, how they each feel about one another suddenly and so the the male character is someone who has lived his life on the edge and taking risks and not tied down and that's who he is and that's the way he's been and the female is you know, a kind of a socialite of London, and she's well-to-do and and um, very stable. And so he begins to talk to her about all these adventures that he's taken. And he says, the one adventure that I've that I have yet to tackle, and the greatest adventure of my life would be marriage. And he said. The reason is because the reason that that would be such a great adventure for me is that I would want to marry someone opposite than who I am. I don't want to marry someone similar to me. I want to marry the opposite and go through that 
um, process of figuring out how do we make this work? How do we find a compromise where we are both still who we are, but living life in a grand way together? Yeah. So, <laughs> so I thought that was a great way to to articulate marriage and maybe there are some marriages out there where you married someone who was just like you and there was no compromise and no adjusting and and it was easy but i think the majority of us marry people who are not us right and when you put two people together I mean, there are just so many differences in us all. And when you, you put, a, put those two different lives together and live together and go through this journey of life together, wow, there's, there's a lot going on. And how do you deal with, how do you negotiate the compromise that's necessary for you both? Yeah, I, um, I think to begin with, it's uh, it might be helpful to think of uh, difference, differences and sameness with shades of gray. Uh, those are not absolute terms, mm. uh, or else the discussion won't make any sense. Uh, obviously, it's a mixed bag. Um, we marry people who in some ways are different, but in some ways are very similar. And I think that's going to be true for the majority of marriages. Um, I mean, in the most extreme case, you know, someone from a diametrically opposed different culture, ethnic group, you know, you just push the differences as far as you can. Even then, there are going to be shared things uh, just that are universal to humanity. So... Not to that's not to disagree with your point, but to say for this to make sense, you can't we can't go into dualistic language and it's an either or, but sure, yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, immediately, what and this is not the direction you were thinking, I don't think that we would go and we don't have to, uh, but it's what came to my mind, um, is. Uh, the relationship between humanity and God, which is often described as a marriage with Jesus being the bridegroom. And we share similarities insofar that we're created in the image of God, but we're, we're almost opposite insofar that He is light and we're bringing darkness. And the working through of that um, until we're conformed more into the light. But that's what it made me think of. But I think mm -hmm. you're thinking more in terms of actual earthly marriage. Yes, yeah. Well, I mean, it could, it could serve both ideas and both discussions. Um, and you do plenty of marriage counseling um, so you've, you've got some great tools for guiding people to kind of have open eyes as they go into marriage. But I know we've, 
we've talked about this a lot in, in our years together, and we, we knew this just a tiny bit when we got married. <laughs> then, then our understanding and our awareness grew as we got deeper into our experience of life together, is that we, we walked into marriage knowing what me, me believing, you know, what I believe and understanding the world through my own experiences and my own life thus far and the same for you. So I had my own reality. This is truth. This is the way the world works. This is who I am and believing, okay, so this is who you are. And then you had your own kind of um, dialogue in your own head. And those things weren't exactly the same. Mm -mm. And so a huge part of that dynamic was walking out. Okay, well, I misunderstood (laughs) a few of these things. What does that mean? What does that look like when... I actually see things through your eyes, um, and, and vice versa, and vice versa, and the, and so it's an ongoing awakening, and so that's absolutely true in terms of progressively getting to know God and realizing who He is and how He sees things, which is absolute truth. It is, but it's interesting to think. I mean. These are big questions when we start thinking about God and omniscience or whatever, which is the big, huge word for He knows everything. However, you know, let's just play around with the the possibility that we can't think of omniscience as an absolute because just as you were talking about how you and I began to grow and look at each other through each other's eyes, that is the incarnation. Jesus comes to look at life that we're living as humans and how we experience pain and suffering and our views of God through our eyes. And so does God actually understand what all of that is like before Jesus comes? Well, I don't know, but it seems to me that the even if he had some inkling, the experience had to be deepened by the fact that God becomes flesh and experiences firsthand through being a human what it means to be betrayed and what it is to love uh, somebody um, relationally according to the flesh, you know, a parent or a friend or whatever. And so, yeah, I think even in that respect, you know, there may have been growth, if you want to put it that way, on both sides. Not that God was missing anything, but um, anyway, I don't know. I'm just speaking out loud. That's interesting to think about. It sure is. And I think there are plenty of people who have an idea of God, a God who is distant and kind of put things into motion and step back and gave us a list of rules and said, okay, we'll go be good, and I'll I'll be watching to see if you are or not. <laughs> and then that's the extent of his involvement with us. Instead of someone who is actually involved in our adventure as we go. So even though he, he does have this all-knowing quality, he actually 
is so interested and so passionate about experiencing the adventure with us as we go along. Yeah, and think about what you just said as far as this presupposition that many people have about God, you know, as Bette Midler say, is watching us, you know, from afar, which is never a good thing. But think of it in terms of if that's a marriage relationship and how uh, horrific that is. If your spouse is only watching to see if you do things right or else you're on the outs, um, nobody wants to be in that kind of a marriage. And that's why people are leaving the church. Nobody wants to be part of that kind of a system uh, either. Mm Mm-hmm. So why is it that people aren't getting married today? (laughs) Why is it that marriage is on the decline in our young generation? Well, so I think a couple of things to think about, and I haven't looked at the statistics. I know people are waiting longer to get married, Um, and it may be true that actual marriages declined but what is also true is that the divorce rate has declined uh, if I remember these statistics correctly so that the people who are getting married are staying together Mm. Um, and I hope for the right reasons not just to white knuckle it through a crappy situation Um, I think a lot of I think most generations do this maybe not all of them but I think most generations look at the world as they're growing up and the world they associate with the world of their parents and their grandparents. And if they look at that world and they say, you know, you people have made a pretty crummy mess of this whole thing. I'm not going to follow your examples because look where it's led us. Maybe that plays into it, that they're not going to just jump into the quote-unquote traditional ways of doing things, which is, you know, go to high school, go to college, find a spouse, get married, have kids, live in the right neighborhood, buy the right kind of car, send your kids to the right kind of schools so that your kids can then do the same thing over and over again. I think maybe they've seen the bankruptcy of some of that system, and they're trying to forge a their own way through. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. But it, you talked about marriage counseling, and one of the things I do tell people is, even if you're, you think you're very similar, like two people who grew up in the South, uh, maybe even from the same town or the same state or whatever, when you begin to dig deep, more than likely in almost every circumstance actually there are going to be pretty big differences on how different families um, managed their money or thought about uh, you know sexuality and sex and uh, child rearing and any number of things so it is the working through those differences uh, and you know I it, as we're talking, it made me think of this. Um, it may be one of the reasons why in times past, we saw so many 
people intermarry uh, within their own families, you know, cousins and stuff, mm-hmm. because there would be less of a curve to get over. Of course, it, it's fraught with its own peril when you do that, but um, that they wanted to continue the quote-unquote stable foundation that they believe they had. The other thing that this conversation has made me think about is through my years in ministry, I've often had people in the congregation clamor for me or the clergy to teach classes on marriage or raising children, uh, those kind of life skill, quote-unquote life skill topics. And I'm really convinced now that I want people to let me finish here. I think teaching those things by and large is worthless unless the people are first committed to really being serious disciples of Jesus Christ and doing their inner work. Because unless that happens... I can give you a class on marriage and and parenting, but if you are don't do your inner work and you're just looking at this through the same self-centered eyes which we all have, unless we're going to do this work, those skills won't really help. They may be a short-term something for you, but uh, it really is about uh, the little death and resurrection of our egos and ourself, which is most important. When that happens, marriages get better by themselves because the Spirit's at work. When that happens, parenting gets better by Mm -hmm. itself. So you're not introducing a bunch of quote-unquote skills or things to pull out of your toolbox in order to, I need to apply this to make my marriage better. Nah, it's all it's superficial. It's a band-aid until people are willing to and this is part of what I preached about yesterday. You know, God loves us unconditionally, but he wants us to grow up. We're not meant to stay children forever. Um we can. We can become spoiled, rotten old folks if we want to and never grow. Uh but we're meant to grow. And part of that growing is the death and resurrection of our egos, the self-centeredness and, and learning how to, to uh, acquiesce or surrender to uh, the carrying of our cross and the things of God, which that produces the fruit of love, joy, peace, etc. And that then produces... Uh, a more quality marriage and parenting. And um, would you agree that marriage itself is a is the perfect playground for walking through that process of asking yourself the questions: Why am I the way I am, and why am I needing that? Why am I angry? Why am I? Why do I not seem to care? You know, all of this counting your stars, like investigating what's what's underneath the the top level, and and let's really get to the meaning of these 
ways of life and the ways of being so that so that I can grow and I and things do matter and 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 I believe all that happens as you you know are awakened to the reality and the nature of God because all those things become more important than yeah to the question though is marriage the best place for that to happen I would say ideally correct but as I tell uh, couples in premarital counseling you know marriage has the opportunity for the most grand scintillating adventure of your life it also has the opportunity to be the most horrific hell house you'll ever live in so yeah, marriage has the opportunity for an intimacy that you could never experience anywhere else, uh, the safe place to discover more about yourself and someone else and how to love sacrificially, yes. But it also has the possibility of just being torturous. And that's why in our marriage liturgy, at the very beginning, and I think I love the way the Episcopal Church does this, it says, Marriage is not to be, is not meant to be entered into lightly or unadvisedly, but deliberately and with reverence, you know, because, you know, if, if you're not willing to treat each other with forgiveness, uh, and really that's it, I want to, let's not complicate it. If you can't walk through this relationship first and foremost with forgiveness, forgiving the other person for being themselves, then it'll be uh, tragic. True, true. And even that, the ability to forgive is something you learn as you go. <laughs> it's not, I mean, I don't... You've learned it in spades. I, I didn't, like, have it 100% for sure <laughs> when we got married. It's something you grow in. Um, but again, it takes you right back to... to an ongoing process of knowing God, because if you don't, if you don't experience the forgiveness of God, I don't think you can forgive yourself or forgive others well. Well, exactly. The reason we've learned to forgive each other as well as we have is because we're serious about our relationship with God, and the fruit of that has been that we've grown in the, our ability to forgive. And that's not because we're such great people. If you're actually listening to this. It's just that life in the kingdom of God takes cooperation. Uh, it doesn't take even competence, because <laughs> sometimes we're not. <laughs> but it's just cooperating. It's being willing to be exposed in our garbage and letting the, the Holy Spirit do her work in us. Um, so I think that's exactly right, hon, is we... As we, you know, are engaging and in the process, I hope it doesn't sound overly onerous, but it is it is deliberate uh, as far as uh, wanting to grow. Uh, it doesn't just happen like the sun coming up each day. Uh, it is a cooperative process that as we engage the willingness to surrender to God, good things eventually do come out of that. 
Well, the, the relieving factor there is that you're surrendering to a God who is gracious and kind. <laughs> that's right. And that's all you'll ever get. Uh, sometimes it's not fun to have our stuff exposed, but that's never God humiliating us or punishing us. It's Him helping us get rid of excess baggage that's uh, destructive to us. So, yeah. yeah. Just as a parent would with their child. I mean... We would want to help them get rid of things that uh, are harming them. Yeah, we're coming up on Halloween, and and the phrase trick-or-treat might be applied to people's theology. Do you believe in a God who is, you're not sure if he's going to give you <laughs> a trick or a treat? Or do you need to hear that, you know, this God is, is, is awesome and powerful, but he's good. And, and when Jesus declares who the Father is, he said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Amen. And, but, and even worse, the people who are convinced that they do know that God will give them a trick or a treat and that their bad behavior, he absolutely will give them a trick. So don't buy into that, people. If you believe that hurricanes or COVID-19 are a result of sinful behavior in America and God is pouring out His wrath and punishing us, I will just say, as far as I'm concerned, you have it 100% wrong. That's not the character of God. That a, a good parent doesn't do that. If you're a parent and your child is doing something wrong, do you would you uh, deliberately inject them with a disease that would likely kill them? Well, I hope your answer is no. You would never do that. You would try to help them expose their behavior and say, look, you can't continue to live this way. It's hurting you. It's hurting the people around you. But it's not punishment. We have got to destroy that monstrous image of God. He is not Pumpkinhead out to come get you when you are bad. He's not Santa Claus. Look, I know we sing that song, He wants to know if you're naughty or nice, and if you're naughty, you get the coal. That is not an image of God. That is a pagan image, and it's just wrong. And as long as we buy into it, we'll never understand the goodness of God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and returning one more time to where we started at the secret of chimneys, the hero of Agatha Christie's plot here is saying that the one great adventure that he had not encountered and had not jumped into yet was marriage. And so we can, we can actually uh, look at marriage and look at a relationship with God with absolute excitement and hope and positivity um, because there's so much there to enjoy and experience. And it's not always easy, but boy, is it fulfilling and worth the endeavor. Which is exactly the way our earthly marriages are meant to be as well. Filled with hope and worth the endeavor. Not always easy particularly if you're married to me. 
I thought you were going to throw it at me. (laughs) Thanks for sharing your time with us today. We hope you feel encouraged and included in all of these discussions. Above all, we really want you to know that you matter. And we're all really just one big family. So until next week, keep noticing your stars, enjoy your freedom to explore life, and just take it one step at a time. Peace.